Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Luke 24. We're going to be looking at verses 13 through 35 today. We've been in a series titled Kingdom Come since December of 2019. And most of that was a verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Matthew in the last two weeks. And today we've been uh, continuing the theme of live in light of resurrection looking at what the resurrection means for us in our daily lives. Today uh, is the last sermon in that series, Live in Light of Resurrection, Revealed in Community. Gospel community is one of the core values of our church. Our value gospel community is defined this way. Jesus told his disciples in John 13, 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if... You have love for one another. As people deeply loved by God and adopted into His family, we commit ourselves to engaging with one another with purposeful love that reflects the costly, sacrificial love that God showed us when Jesus died for our sins. We do so by joyfully serving one another, sharing our resources with one another as needs arise, actively using our spiritual gifts for the building up of the body, showing hospitality to one another as well as those outside the church, and ultimately choosing to have the same humility of mind as Christ as described in Philippians 2, 5 through 8, considering others better than ourselves. This is one of the things we value as a church. And the point of the sermon today is to emphasize that it is community is a result of the resurrection. It's a fruit of resurrection. Remember, the resurrection of Jesus does something, always. It is effective. It looks like something in our lives. In their book, Everyday Church, Tim Chester and Steve Timmis write, the Christian community demonstrates the effectiveness of the gospel. We are the living proof that the gospel is not an empty word, but a powerful word that takes men and women who are lovers of self and transforms them by grace through the Spirit into people who love God and love others. We are living proof that the death of Jesus was not just a vain expression of God's love, but an effective death that achieved the salvation of people who now love one another sincerely from a pure heart. So today we're going to be looking at another account of Jesus revealing himself to disciples after his resurrection. We're going to be looking at verses 13 through 35 of Luke 24, and from that I think we can be helped to see how the resurrection of Jesus leads to true, genuine community among believers. So let's stand together and follow along, beginning with verse 13 of Luke 24. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, 
What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us when he talked to us on the road while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word and thank you for the truth that is revealed through it. Truth that without your help, we are hopeless to believe, hopeless to understand, hopeless to love. So help us today, Father, we pray in Christ's name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Now, many of you probably feel the same way, but I love this text. I love this story, this account of Jesus appearing to these disciples. We've been looking at things that happened after the resurrection and before the ascension. We're going to look at the ascension next week. Because we were already in Galilee, we looked at another text two weeks ago where Jesus encounters the disciples in Galilee. But the text that we're looking at today actually takes place before that account, before the encounter with Peter and the others on the shore, which was the text we looked at two weeks ago. So let's work through it and unpack it as we do. Verse 13, that very day two of them were going to a village named Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem. Luke records for us this important account about two disciples that are really unknown. They, they would have been on the outer circle of Jesus' disciples, not the inner 12 or the women that we hear so much about, but the outer circle of disciples. In fact, other than this story, we know nothing about these two disciples. 
They were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. So they're talking about these things. They're talking about Jesus' arrest, Jesus' crucifixion, uh, and then these rumors, these sightings that people are saying that they're having of this risen Lord, the empty tomb, the testimony concerning the angels. It says in verse 15, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. It's so significant and so good. This is love. While they're talking, while they're walking, Jesus draws near to them to go along with them. It's the Lord, glorified. He's the one who draws near to them. These two unknown disciples loved by Jesus significantly so that he joins them to help them along the way. Verse 16 tells us their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Now, we don't know exactly how that was. It wasn't that Jesus was wearing a disguise or something, but, but he's hidden from their eyes. They don't recognize that this is Jesus. He doesn't reveal himself to them as the Lord. Verse 17, and he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Jesus' question causes these two to stand still and show their despair, their sadness. Probably reveals their disappointment that they didn't understand what was happening. They thought that these events must mean that Jesus was not the Redeemer that they anticipated Him to be or expected Him to be. They had hoped for. And so it continues... One of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Cleopas replies in a way that helps us to see how the news is spreading. You would imagine, I mean, there's a man who was crucified and he had made these claims and now people are saying they see him. And this news is spreading and they're shocked at this man who's walking with them has no idea supposedly of what had taken place. The news was widespread. And Jesus knew what they were talking about. Jesus knows what happened to him. But he asked the question to them so that he's able to explain what they needed to know to deal with the doubt and the sadness in their hearts. Verse 19, he said to them, what things? They said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, in word before God and all the people. Now their answer is helpful in understanding what they believed about Jesus. They believed that Jesus was a prophet. They believed that he was mighty. They had seen uh, in Jesus, the power of God displayed in a multitude of ways. They knew these things about Him. They had seen with their own eyes. Verse 20 and 21, And how our chief priests and rulers delivered Him over uh, up to be condemned to death and crucified. But we had hoped 
that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things happened. Now, in some way, their hope was misguided. Jesus is going to show them that in the coming verses. They didn't understand how redemption would come. They hoped he was the one to deliver Israel spiritually and politically. That's what they anticipated. But not in the way God had planned and revealed through His Word. Verses 22 through 24, Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find His body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that He was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but Him they did not see. So they've heard the testimony. The testimony of the women and of Peter and John, and they're amazed. And they don't know for sure or yet believe for sure what is happening. But they're wondering, and maybe there's a, a glimmer of hope in them somewhere, but the comment there, but him they did not see, it shows that that glimmer, whatever it is, is probably not bright. They're discouraged. Verses 25 through 27, he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He calls these disciples foolish. For not understanding. Their hope was misguided. They didn't really understand what God had clearly spoken. He says that they're slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. They had, they had had enough to know. There was enough given to them to know that the Christ would suffer. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into His glory. In other words, you know that it was. There's an implication here. It was necessary. And they should have known that. Why? Because that was the pattern and message of God's Word always. The disciples had seen in the Old Testament the glory and victory of the Messiah, but not the fact that the path to these blessings was one of suffering. And so Jesus, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. Just glorious. We have no idea how long this walk was. We don't know. We just know that it had to be one of the most glorious events in all of human history. He interpreted to himself, he interpreted to them in all of the scriptures the things concerning himself. Amazing. And then in verses 28 and 29, it says, They drew near to the village to which they're going. He acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. They urge him, Stay. 
There's likely two reasons for this strong urging to stay. Obviously, first, Jesus' teaching had impacted these two disciples. They say that in the verses ahead. And so certainly they, they don't want this man who has, for the first time in their lives, interpreted correctly to them in all of the Scriptures the things concerning the Messiah. They don't want him to leave. Surely they are wanting to spend more time with whoever this is. But secondly, you notice what they say, stay for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. In other words, it's going to be night soon and traveling at night is risky. It wasn't encouraged. It involved danger from robbers or obstacles along the path, wild animals. There's no street lights and so danger loomed traveling at night. And so they urge him, stay. And he does. He went in, it says, and stayed with them. Now, those are the reasons why they urged him to stay, but they are the ones gifted here. They're the ones who are blessed by him staying. Verse 30, when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. Not only does he stay, but as they sit down together, he is given the role of host. Jesus is the one leading the breaking and blessing of the bread. He breaks it and gives it to them. That's the host's responsibility. And so it seems that these disciples hold Jesus not knowing it's Him in such high regard that they give Him these honors. And their eyes were opened and they recognized Him and He vanished from their sight. There before Jesus for the first time in this long journey, their eyes are opened and they recognize it's the Lord. What joy must have instantaneously filled their hearts? When the Lord Jesus is revealed to Mary in the garden after his resurrection, she proclaims Rabbani, which means teacher, and it says that, that in John's gospel, it, it says that she clung to him. She began to cling to him. Surely these disciples in Luke's account have a similar feeling of thankfulness and joy and desire for this time to continue, but Luke tells us he vanished immediately. He just vanished. We know from this and other accounts, Jesus' glorified, resurrected body possesses qualities that enable him to appear at will and vanish at will. Almost before they fully realized what had happened, he's gone. Certainly they wanted him to stay. If they wanted him to stay earlier, they want him to stay now. Now as we consider the rest of the text, I want to do so through the lens that I mentioned at the beginning. Live in light of resurrection 
revealed in community. The community that has taken place in this text, the true fellowship that has taken place in the text, verses 32 through 35, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us? While He talked to us on the road, while He opened to us the Scriptures, and they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how He was known to them in the breaking of the bread. So they go and they find the eleven. The eleven are amped, and they're talking about how the Lord has appeared to Simon Peter, and they're telling these two disciples that, and now the disciples are telling them, look, I mean, you don't even know, like, we've got a story to tell you. One of the things we want to notice in this text, in this text, it wasn't a Bible lesson that convinced these disciples that it was Jesus. It was fellowship. It was community. Now, that's not at all me saying that God doesn't reveal Himself through Bible teaching. You all know that I believe that. You know that I, I stand on that truth, that God reveals Himself through the teaching of Scripture. And even in the text, we see that their hearts burned within them as He taught them, right? We see that. But it's not how He was revealed to them. They find the 11 disciples. They tell them what had happened and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Now, we've used, I've used this text before as a means of relating to the Lord's Supper. And certainly there's a link there. The Lord reveals himself through the breaking of bread. Then and now. But this isn't a communion text. It's not a communion service that's taking place when they get to where they're going. It's fellowship. It's a meal together. It's breaking bread together. It's people who love the Lord sitting together, breaking bread together. That's community. That's true gospel fellowship and community. Cleopas and the other disciple with him were not at the Last Supper, so they wouldn't have a context for that. They wouldn't even have a reference point for communion, but community and fellowship, they have that. Again, this is a core value for us. This is why this is a core value for us, because Christ reveals Himself through gospel community. Again, our value of gospel community says this, Jesus told the disciples in John 13, 35, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. As people deeply loved by God and adopted into His family, we commit ourselves to engaging with one another with purposeful love that reflects the costly, sacrificial love that God showed us when Jesus died for our sins. We do so joyfully, 
serving one another, sharing our resources with one another as needs arise, actively using our spiritual gifts for the building up of the body, showing hospitality to one another as well as those outside the church, and ultimately choosing to have the same humility of mind as Christ, as described in Philippians 2, 5 through 8, considering others better than yourselves. Consider this. Just think of what we know about community and feasting in the early church, of true gospel community in the early church. What we see in the text today, this this picture of true fellowship and community continues. Christ revealing himself to the body and Christ revealing himself to outsiders through gospel community. You consider Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I want us all to consider this and the beauty of gospel community that we see here in these few individuals in Luke 24. Think about the emphasis of community in the early church. Think about the emphasis of community that we see throughout the New Testament. They devoted themselves. They devoted their lives to these things. As we go into the summer months, and I love this. I mean, this week, my goodness, the weather. I mean, you guys do not look happy enough to have reflected on this weather this week. Unreal. So wonderful. And as we go into these summer months, opportunities are going to multiply for gospel community. Opportunities. Just as many opportunities are going to multiply to neglect that, okay? They both multiply. But opportunities multiply for gospel community, purposefully gathering with the body of Christ outside of this room, outside of Sunday morning to be together, to fellowship together. Christ reveals himself in this. Not only that, as you consider as the body of Christ, there's a longing that we experience in true gospel community. A longing for new heavens and new earth. A longing for a future resurrection. A longing for a table prepared for us where Jesus, the host, breaks bread and blesses it for us. A longing of never eating alone again. So let me ask you a question. Do people know 
where the forks are in your house. Think about that. Do people know where the forks are in your home? That's such a beautiful evidence of community in the body of Christ. I consider community, I think of Chris Rule, who purposefully gets together with person after person after person after person in the body. So many others of you, the women today, have an opportunity to experience community following the service. I would ask you, are you living in light of resurrection? And the way you fellowship with the body of Christ. Are you experiencing the fellowship of Christ? Is He being revealed more to you because you are purposefully gathering with the body in non-formal ways? He was known to us in the breaking of the bread. I pray that that would be a value for us in this body. We're people who believe that Christ was raised and that it did something. That has caused us to love people differently than we did before. We're going to go into a time where we take the Lord's Supper together. Community, fellowship together with people who apart from Christ you might not sit across from a table with, or across a table with. But here we are together, from all backgrounds, all different stories, all different irritants, all different things that would annoy other people apart from the gospel of Jesus. Not at all to say that you're not annoying, even with Jesus coming. We all are. Okay, maybe me more than all. But all of these things in us, and because of the gospel, we come together and we fellowship together in the name of Jesus because of who He is, not because of who we are, not because of who you are, who your neighbor is, not, not because of that, but because of who He is. And that's true in the Lord's Supper. That as we take the bread and the cup, we do it in His name and in His remembrance. And that all of us coming from all of these different backgrounds and perspectives, believing in Jesus, trusting in Jesus, have fellowship and community because of Him. I want to encourage you again, if, if you're here and you don't yet know Him, you're not ready to surrender to Him yet, then, then as, as rows are dismissed, just, just sit and pray. Seek the Lord. Ask the Lord to reveal Himself to you. Remind you that Paul says, as often as you do this, you proclaim the Lord's death. And so we like to remind people that if you don't, believe in him, then you wouldn't even want to proclaim that. But if you know him, 
give fellowship in, in his name. We invite you as you're dismissed to come and get the bread, the cup, and take it back, and then we'll take it together in a few minutes. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and grace. And Father, I want to thank you for the blessing of community, of fellowship with the body of Christ those that you have looked at and loved as they are saved and welcomed, embraced, just as you've done to me. Pray that you would bless in this time, Lord. Help us to trust in you. Help us to demonstrate our love for you and, and how we love others. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.